Today's reading is Acts 16, 5 through 19, and 25 through 34. It, it can be found on your screen. This is God's word. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Lydia's conversion in Philippi. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed, sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us, Paul and Silas in prison. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. <coughs> she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God he and his whole household, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, friends. As we approach this passage, 
I invite you to pray with me. Our heavenly God, we are drawn towards much noise and many calls that are, that are calling for us, many directions we could pursue. But we listen now for your voice, the voice of grace, because truthfully at, at our heart, without you, we are lost. We might pretend that we have found our way, but we are lost. We're all more lost than we care to admit. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. But your story of your grace in the Bible tells us over and over again that you move towards the mess and that now we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever imagined. Lost in a mess, but found, reconciled and cleaned up through the grace of Jesus. So now may we hear your voice this morning and may it lead us and guide us where we need to go. We pray in Jesus name, amen. Those of you who have gone to a mega church before might get some of the jokes in this fake article from the Babylon Bee, sort of a, an online newspaper of church inside jokes and fake news. The, the title goes like this, the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit unable to move through congregation as fog machine breaks. Describing the experience as tragic, local worship leader Axel Johnson found his congregation totally unable to worship as the church's primary fog machine malfunctioned right in the middle of the Sunday morning set. We barely got through our new song. It was a real train wreck, a visibly shaken Johnson told us while sipping a, a latte macchiato in the church cafe after the service. Just as the song, an original mashup between Who Bestanks the Reason and Gunger's Beautiful Things, reached its climax, a loud pop emanated from the 16,000-watt machine positioned just in front of the plexiglass pulpit. The device sputtered to a halt and ceased pumping out 30,000 cubic feet of water-based fog per minute into the venue. Onlookers said it totally and instantly killed their personal worship experience. It was a serious downer, one parishioner recalled. One moment I was caught up in the spirit, worshiping the living God of all creation before his throne, and the next I was brought plummeting back down to earth. The mood was totally ruined. The church has ordered a full inspection of the remaining five fog machines, as well as a laser light controllers as a preventative measure. We're not losing the Holy Spirit again, not on my watch anyway, Johnson declared. We'll pick ourselves up and grow from this tragedy. <laughs> Funny because there's a lot of little bits of truth and a lot of glimpses into what really makes up the world of bigger is better in the world of churches these days. And in his book, the last chapter of his book, Nine Essential Failures of a Faithful Life, The Upside Down Spirituality, Chad Bird describes a fictitious family who's taking a journey that's actually quite common, he says, in the place where he lives in Texas. This family arrives in town, they're new, they don't know what church to go to. So after asking a lot of people, all signs point towards this one church and it's a mega church. So he pictures them plopping into their car as a family some Sunday morning and getting ready to drive that 25 minute drive to get to this church that will have everything they could possibly need for all the ages in their family. And he describes how what they end up doing is driving past over 50 other churches, all from the same denomination, 
So based the same basic beliefs, but all of these other 50 churches are these small, unimpressive churches of people getting out of their cars and entering into a small little cozy building where they worship together. And so the question is why? What's going on with all of this bigger is better stuff? He says, mega churches seem to make the kingdom of God seeable, tangible, and feelable. The bigger the crowd, the bigger the noise, the bigger the fame, the bigger the professionalism, the bigger the band, the smaller there is, the smaller need there is to see God at work in the mundane, the old, the simple, the unawesome. It's already hard to see God at work in the daily grind of our lives. We don't want that difficulty to bleed over into Sunday as well. Long ago, we read about in Acts chapter 16, another group of people was traveling along on their journey, deciding where to go. And Paul and his gospel-spreading entourage were traveling, and they wanted to go to a couple of places that I think they must have deemed to be high-impact locations where they could get big numbers and big results in spreading the gospel of Jesus. And these places are described in Acts chapter 16 as the province of Asia and also Bithynia. But they aren't able to go into those places. We read that having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And then they want to go to this other place called Bithynia, but it says the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. I've always wondered, how did that happen? How, uh, what did the Holy Spirit do to keep them from those places? That's where my mind goes. I want to, I want to know, I want the inside scoop on what that looked like. And of course we're left to our imaginations. Perhaps, um, Today, we have our answer. Perhaps they got up to the borders of those places and their fog machine broke down and the Holy Spirit couldn't work anymore in that journey. And so they went, we read, they went where they hadn't planned on going to an unimpressive place, but it's the place where God wanted them to go. And they took their broken fog machine course they didn't in case you don't catch my my joke there they're they don't really have a fog machine back then but they take their broken fog machine let's imagine and they go to a tiny gathering of women an unimpressive collection of women meeting in a secret prayer spot that somehow paul knows someone who knows about these women seeking god in prayer down by the river And so in this unlikely town of Ephesus, a group begins to form and shape, and it will become the church of Ephesus, the church God had in mind to begin. It's a church that includes first this businesswoman named Lydia, who might have been more, probably was more kind of upper class, upper middle class, She's a business owner, 
and she actually owned property and God knows what he's doing because now as she gives her life to Christ and accepts the forgiving love of the cross and the empty tomb, as she hears the gospel of grace and becomes a baptized follower of Jesus, God knows she has a house and that house will now be where the church can meet this new church. And this church also then includes someone else. Very unlikely, an oppressed peasant girl who's been manipulated and abused by her handlers, but now God has unshackled her from her slavery and oppression and released her from the demon through Paul's ministry. And so she joins this collection of people meeting in Lydia's house. And then as Paul and his uh, and his helpers end up in jail because of what they have done for this girl, a Roman officer of the law, a jailer, gives his life over to Christ. And this is a real kind of established soldier cop kind of guy, a real Blue Lives Matter kind of guy, a guy you would never find in the same room with this oppressed peasant girl who had been demon-possessed. These three people, and it sounds like many other, the whole household of the jailer as well, these people make up this new motley crew of people that swam in different uh, streams, as it were. They ran in different circles. They were not the kind of people that socialized and hung out together, but now they fit together. And God takes, as he does with all of us who are baptized Christians, he takes all of the things in our life that would be our primary bonds, our primary similarities, and he drops them down several layers because now what's taken up center stage is our new primary bond. The bond we have with everyone else who is a child of God. The bond we have with everyone else who has received the forgiving mercy of Jesus and has, have realized that God has reached out into our world through Jesus to do what we couldn't do to bring us where we don't belong in the inner circle of God's love and grace. We don't climb our way up to God. God comes down to us to welcome us in. And now in Ephesus, where Paul and his people didn't even want to go, there's this collection of people who have the strongest bond they've ever had in their life. And it's with people that they never would have guessed to hang out with or to be in the same room with. And this is the reconciling love of Jesus. And so we pause this Sunday morning to consider how different our vision is from God's. We ponder how often will we need the Holy Spirit to keep us from going where there are flashing things like fog machines and success stories and where there are big numbers And we consider how the Holy Spirit might be taking us where that spirit is shaping together a powerful little church in unimpressive places. Let's pause for half a minute or so and just maybe take a note or a mental note or, or a, jot, a note jotting down. Where is God's spirit drawing your attention to this morning?
Let's pray. Heavenly God, would you take this message and would you use it to implant in us and in your church the living, thriving, reconciling, bonding grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, your son. We pray in his name. Amen.